The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and you already know what I'm going to say. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you are in the right place. Today's buzz, let's see, life in a three-by-three. What? Sounds really crowded and tight. Let me get started. We're talking, of course, about, well, this is game-changing HR leaders. You know where I'm going with this. The infamous human resources nine-box grid. You may be living with it. You may be living in spite of it. It's intended to plot the progression of people as resources in your organization for the purpose of the best future of your organizations. It's been called the performance and potential matrix. I have a quick quote here from Burson by Deloitte. I looked this up and this will help explain it for those of you unfamiliar. A nine box grid is a matrix tool used to evaluate and plot a company's talent pool based on two factors, most commonly performance, which is measured by reviews and that's across the bottom on the horizontal axis. And the other P is potential the vertical axis referring to an individual's potential to grow or one or more levels in a managerial or professional capacity. I think that covers it all. So how's the grid doing? What's the feedback? What are they saying? Well, feedback, eh, not exactly voting an Oscar. Here we go. Employees see it as negatively because they're trying to get into that cherished golden top right-hand quadrant but they're not getting there as often as they like. Managers, not so happy because they say it's not really motivating their employees to strive to get where everybody wants them to go. Ultimately, even your best talent just might not get there. But what is success really on the grid? We're going to find out. So the big question on the table today, and I know we're going to have a heck of a debate because I've seen the notes from our panelists and we've got both sides covered and probably a little in the middle. Is it time for the infamous nine-box grid to retire. Uh, Maybe it's a boomer. I don't know. Some of us don't want to retire. Or are we doomed to nine boxes and that three-by-three forever? So let's get started. First up, I'm very pleased to welcome a newcomer to SAP Radio. He is Anthony Abitello. I'm going to spell his last name in case you want to look him up. A-B-B-A-T-I-E-L-L-O. He's a principal in the human capital practice at Deloitte. Speaking of Deloitte, we mentioned Burson by Deloitte. We've had Josh Burson on our shows many times. The quote that Anthony sent me is from Barry Salzberg. May not be a household name. But he was the CEO of Deloitte LLP in the U.S. from 2007 to 11. Then he was promoted, I think that's what he would call it, to CEO of Deloitte Touche Tomatsu Limited, 
globally from 2011 to 2015. I think he just retired, maybe. And I found a fascinating interview in the New York Times dated May 21st, 2011, called The Right Job. It's much like The Right Spouse. And that tells you how Barry Salzberg thinks. Now, here's the quote Anthony provided. No longer is leadership about a few exceptional leaders at the top of the organization. Rather, the future is about exceptional teams and the leaders within those teams who can outmaneuver, outmanage, and out-innovate their competition. Anthony Abitello, welcome. How are you, Anthony? I am well. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Love the quote, and you've introduced me to the world of Barry Salzberg, and I'm grateful for that. So how did you come to pick this quote other than that you work at Deloitte and he's a biggie at Deloitte? Talk to me. Right. It's not a self-fulfilling prophecy, I promise. Um, You know, know, when I look at at the world of leadership and I think about, you know, great leaders, what I I really like about Barry's point, and, you know, Barry has a very interesting journey taking over globally as a CEO for for Deloitte and now recently retiring. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he's going on into the academic world, and he's always had a great perspective around um, you know, what does it take to be a real leader? It's not, it isn't, it isn't fancy. It is about, you know, being true to yourself, being true to who you are and, and what is your passion. Uh, but more importantly, what I love about this quote is that um, we stop focusing on just exceptional leaders and what, what that means. We, we spend so much time focused at the top and, you know, getting to our senior most leaders. Um, and it, this is really about unleashing potential within your organization. So finding those emerging leaders, that talent within the organization that, that exhibits that potential. So unleashing that potential, unleashing the power of your organization, and then, you know, ultimately finding the right new faces of leadership, which may look a lot different than you have thought of in the past. Very interesting. Anthony, as I read the quote, a couple things jump out at me, and your point's so well taken. It's not just the leaders. It's exceptional teams and the leaders within. And I know I've heard it said, everybody can be a leader. Anybody can be a leader, which goes back to the who's the chief and who's the Indian and all that and, and whatever. But my point is, I, three words jump out at me, outmaneuver, outmanage, outinnovate their competition. Mm-hmm. It sounds like your team needs to buy into the vision, have the passion, have the skills, have the forward-looking vision, and everybody literally and figuratively needs to make it an exceptional team effort. Am I on the right track with that, Anthony? You are, and the only thing that I would add to that is what, what's the leader's job in that scenario to you know, outmaneuver, outmanage, and outinnovate is to unleash the potential. You know, when you are sitting in, in a team environment, as we all do on an everyday basis, you know, you're all expected to you know, find your ways and, and do the great things as a team, but it's really the job of the leader in the future, you know, today and into the future, to unlock the potential, to identify the, the strengths, the passions of the team, and really you know, start to think about where those new leaders may come from and, and find those new sources, especially in, in the world of, of the future millennial leaders that, that are going to be leading our, our companies, our industries, and our world. Thank you. And I have one question for you. Our topic is specifically, is it time for the nine-box grid to go away in terms of leaders having it as a tool to motivate and put those teams together, use them, groove them into the right vision, and motivate them to become those future leaders with that vision? Is the nine-box grid a good thing or a bad thing? Just a quick POV from you, Anthony. Yes or no? It is like when you're moving out of when when you've unpacked your house, break down the box, put it in the recycle bin, get rid of it. 
<laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, the show's almost over now. That's a good one. Okay, let's turn to our second panelist. We have, uh, I knew you'd be good. We have Elizabeth Duffy. She is a customer value consultant on SAP Success Factors Customer Value and Adoption Team. And Elizabeth has taken a page from the Sherry Ann Meyer quote book. Uh, Sherry Ann Meyer, who's coming up next on our panel, loves to quote movies. And Elizabeth has selected a character from The Princess Bride, which is a 1987 fairy tale about a beautiful young woman and her one true love. It's based on William Goldman's 1973 novel. And the character I'm going to be quoting in a second is Inigo, I-N-I-G-O Montoya, portrayed by one of my favorites, Mandy Patinkin. And Rob Reiner did the film adaptation of The Princess Bride in 87. So, oh, the, the novel was from 1973. Here's the quote. And Elizabeth is substituting the word engagement for what was used in the movie. The word was inconceivable. So let's go from here. Engagement. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I hope I did a good Montoya accent. Elizabeth Duffy, welcome. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for joining Thanks. us. Tell me about the why you picked the Princess Bride quote and who is Montoya, Montoya to you? Sure. Well, first of all, I love the Princess Bride. I mean, um, and when you said quote, that's kind of where I, where I, my brain immediately goes. But um, I, I think because today, in today's world, we, we throw out a lot of words, and we tend to make up our own definitions sometimes for these words. And, um, you know, whether it's engagement or whether it's potential, whatever it is, we, we tend to kind of create our own um, definitions for these. And, you know, if you look up the word engagement in, in the dictionary, it will say something like it's the act of committing or pledging promising or even uh, obligating. Um, but when we talk in terms of software or applications, it's more about we're talking about making it interesting and exciting and drawing people to, to uh, using it and motivating them to use it. When we talk about employee engagement, we're talking about, you know, encouraging them to actively participate. So to me, it just, um, I, I see, and especially as it relates to even potential, a lot of people get confused with the definition, and, and it may have a different meanings for, meanings for um, each, each person, each company. So that's just what I, I tend to think of a lot when I hear these words in, in different contexts. Very well put. And today, Elizabeth, with so many different new ways of communicating by picture, image, by texting, by abbreviations, by Twitter, which I'm on right now at hashtag SAP Radio, the question often is, what did you really mean? And that's not what I got from it. So very well put. So I have to pose to you the same question I posed to Anthony Abatello a minute ago, nine grid, nine box HR performance potential grid. Are you a pro or your con? Is it time to retire it or is it time to keep it? What do you say? Well, I think I think it's time to change it. I don't think we need to necessarily get rid of it completely, but um, I, I do think that there are ways that we can um, change it to make it more valuable and, and be more in line with what people need today because people still need to identify their top talent. Um, it just may look a little different than it, than it did. Thank you. Well put. Thoughtful answer. Appreciate that. And again, welcome and nice to meet you, Elizabeth Duffy. And let's bring on 
Well, she's the sponsor of this series, Game Changing HR Leaders, and she's my movie to go source. But you're going to have to move over because Elizabeth did a really good job with her quote. Sherry Ann Meyer, <laughs> the expert. I always feel like I need trumpets and drums to introduce you, Sherry Ann. You're on every week, and it's great to have you. That would be you're okay. the, ex- <laughs> the expert. Well, I'll tell t- Justin, do we have any sound effects at the business channel? Can you bring on Justin? We'll, we'll chat with me on the Skype chat and tell me if we can do that for Sherry Ann next week. Sherry Ann officially her official title is the expert for HR business processes and technology at ASUG. That's ASUG, America's SAP Users Group, and she just loves the movie. So here is a quote. It's a long one, but I think it's worthy of reading. This is from the wizard himself. And of course, this was, I don't know if everybody knows this, Sherry Ann, the title of the original book written by L. Frank Baum and illustrated by W.W. Denslow. Well, first of all, it was originally published on May 17, 1900. I don't know if you knew that, but the original title of the book was The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And then it began that's right. Oh, you know, of course, you know, you could have told me that. Here's the (laughs) Here's the quote. She knows everything about movies. Here's the quote. Why anybody can have a brain. That's a very mediocre commodity. Every pusillanimous creature that crawls on the earth or slinks through slimy seas has a brain. Back where I come from, we have universities, seats of great learning where men go. We should update that men and women go to become great thinkers. And when they come out, they think deep thoughts and with no more brains than you have. But they have one thing you haven't got, a diploma. I love it. Sherry Ann Meyer, welcome back. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me back, Bonnie. Delighted. So talk to me. Interesting quote from the wizard himself instead of one of the characters along the yellow brick road. What does this have to do with the nine box grid? I'm almost afraid to ask, Sherry Ann. Well, okay, lots of things. Um, how? First of all, who is the wizard? Who is the wizard? Who's the smart one that makes all the decisions? And I think of that when I think about the nine-box grid. Um, That tool is something that's very valuable as a discussion tool. It's not an absolute. And I think we've gotten to the point where we treat it as an absolute, where a bunch of people get in a room, a bunch of wizards get together, and they decide whether or not you have a brain, (laughs) to paraphrase, um, and to put it very simply. They decide, you know, are you on that high box grid? Are you in the higher quadrant? Are they the absolute? No, they're not. And so I think that's what's missing in that tool. It's not a two-way conversation or discussion or a development tool. Um, It's literally as much as bequeathing a diploma upon someone just as a wizard bequeathed one upon the the, um, scarecrow, right? Okay. Very interesting. I know you have a lot more to say about that, but that's so, so... There's the question on the table, Sherry Ann. Nine box grid. Keep it, trash it, retrofit it, redress it, as Elizabeth said, bring it back bring it up to where it needs to be. Is it time for it to retire or time for it to be reborn? What do you say? I think the grid should not be the absolute. I think it's time for it to be retrofitted. Um, and we'll talk about that more as we go on, but I think it really should is it always was intended to be a discussion tool. And what we have today is not a two-way discussion tool. And so we're missing a big component of the input into that grid. Thank you very much. And now let's circle back to Anthony Abitello. Anthony, I warned you I was going to ask you a very personal question. And now it's time. The question is, first of all, where are you calling from? What time of day or evening is it? What are you drinking right now during the show? Or what do you plan to drink after? Anthony Abitello at Deloitte, talk to me. I am sitting in downtown New York City where... 
up until about 30 minutes ago, it was not as foggy as it is, and I have a direct view of Lady Liberty outside my window um, oh, at our, our office oh. down at 25 Broadway, which is just beautiful looking across. We all want to be there. Yes, we do. I can, <laughs> I can get on the Long Island the Railroad and be there. I could be there in 45 minutes, Anthony. I'm on Long Island. I can take you should be here. I can take the Port Washington branch and a quick Uber, and, and I'll be there. I'll be, and it's not foggy here in Great Neck. So go ahead. What are you drinking? Excellent. Uh, well, unfortunately, right now I'm drinking seltzer water, but my plan is I'm counting down the minutes until I open up a very special bottle of, of red wine tonight. Ooh, and how special is the red wine? What's the occasion, and what is the label, or what is the the style, or the flavor, whatever you call wine? What wine is it? It is, it, it is uh, it's our favorite vineyard uh, from Napa. It's called Gargiulo, and uh, I, I subscribe to the to the methodology or the approach as quoted uh, from Paul Giamatti in Sideways, that it will be a, it is a special moment and, a, and occasion when I open the bottle. That's the actual occasion. And that is it. Wonderful. To share, to share with family and on our uh, our Wednesday night of cook at home and no one leaves, no one, uh, no no uh, no internet, no TV. We just hang out, enjoy each other's company, and, and have a fun. Yay! Oh, the Abitellos figured they figured it out. They did. Good <laughs> bottle of wine, no distract. I think the heck with coming to your office. We're coming to your house tonight. <laughs> You can, We're all, you're more than welcome for that too. <laughs> just set three more. Pl- I don't know how Sherry and Elizabeth are going to get there, but it's easy for me. And I'll be in the city anyway on East 37th Street at a play. So maybe I'll stop in, save a little wine for me. Okay, Anthony? I there can, you I can go. That. I knew you'd be great on this panel. It's Elizabeth Duffy, where are you calling from? What time is it? And what's your favorite drink? Sure. Um, well, I am in California, and while I'm not looking out at uh, Lady Liberty, I am looking out at the the foothills, Sierra foothills. So um, mm. I'm in my home office today, and and uh, have a beautiful view of the the trees. <laughs> so, and uh, what's in my my cup today? Well, it, that was a little bit of a quandary because I'll tell you, I had a 12 year addiction to, to chai teas chai tea lattes and in my quest to kind of cut down on sugar i finally weaned off of that but my life is just not the same my mornings are just not the same i don't Aww. have that mm, and I'm, I'm in search of that but so today i'm i'm sticking with the green tea <laughs> but uh looking, nothing looking. wrong with that now tell me how does one get addicted to chai tea that you know we've we've had about a thousand people on all of our shows and nobody has ever publicly claimed addiction to chai tea. So I, I have to just ask you to indulge my, my nosiness here a little bit. What, what, how many cups a day were you drinking? And, and, and it sounds like it was really a good thing for you. <laughs> well, it, you know, I enjoy a hot beverage and, um, and it, preferably something that I can savor. So chai teas, you know, a little sweet, creamy, you know, that kind of thing. I would have a cup in the morning, have a cup, you know, in the afternoon. But then more importantly, it was something about my car. When I'd get in my car to drive, well, I got to go get a chai tea to, ha- you know, have along my drive. <laughs> I got it. There comes addiction. the addiction. Okay. <laughs> I think we all understand now. Okay, well, we'll have to find something new and, and uh, something new for you to latch on to. That sounds yes. good. Thank, <laughs> thank you for sharing. I warned you, Elizabeth, and I think you, you believe me when I said sometimes these what's in your cup today questions become yes. true confessions. And here you are, true confessions on game-changing HR leaders. That's interesting. Well, that's a good, that's a good habit to have to kick. Sherry Ann Meyer, where are you today and what are you drinking? I am in Chicago at the America's SAP Users Group headquarters, 
and it's kind of a gloomy day here today. Um, but, so I'm having a pumpkin spice latte. Uh, it seems like a good fall treat. Um, mm. Nice warm. It's just a little gloomy out. It's not really that cold, but it's kind of rainy. So nice fall day for a pumpkin spice latte. That sounds wonderful. And you know, I think they have pumpkin spice English muffins now, Thomas's. I've seen them in the store. For some reason, they repel me. I haven't bought any. I like their corn, their real corn-flavored muffins, with which they seem to be discontinuing. And I'm sorry oh, for that. But I like if, those if, too. I thought they were fabulous, and they were very hard to get. I had to hoard them. If I saw five boxes, I just grabbed them all because I knew it would be a long time coming, and now they're just gone, gone, gone from all my stores. But if you're looking for pumpkin spice English muffins to go with your coffee, grab some from the bread the bread shelf in your local supermarket. There's a shout-out to Thomas's. They still do a great job after all these years. And I guess that they might be using the nine-box grid in hiring because I think they're doing a good job as far as potential and teamwork. I don't think they have any competition, actually. Do they, Anthony? Thomas is in the English muffin market. You're in New York. What do you think? I don't think so. I think, I mean, bagels, certainly, but English muffins, well, they're the only game really in town. Aren't yeah, they, they really? really? Are. They yeah. are. So they figured out a way to outmaneuver, outmanage, and out-innovate their competition with those good old little craggy holes in the muffins. I think we've said enough here. We're going to go and take a break. Very interesting conversation. We're very serious on the topic of, well, the topic is titled, Don't Fence Me In, Performance in a Nine-Box Grid. We're trying to figure out whether the performance and potential matrix known as the nine-box model to those of you in HR leadership positions and maybe to a lot of you who work for the people who use them, should it stay, should it go, should it be retrofitted, redesigned, should it be given a good swig of a good Merlot and then told to behave and sit up and and do better next time around. What's the performance review on the nine box grid? We're going to be right back. We're speaking with three very interesting and committed people on this topic. Anthony Abitello at Deloitte. And Anthony, we have to do a shout out to so many wonderful people at Deloitte who bring us thought leaders like you, especially Carla Neal. I think she's on uh, personal leave right now. And we have Elizabeth, um, Ah, we have Estelle Van Lerty and we have Amanda Bush and so many other people. Elizabeth Duffy, lovely to have you on board with us. And Sherry Ann Meyer, always welcome on your own series. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And by the way, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. I know you know why. We're going to take a quick break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world of work is changing faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly human resources can adapt and lead through accelerated ongoing change. A corporate culture that embraces differences and innovation is among the top winning strategies for business success. How can human resources shape such a culture in their organizations? One that is moving forward in step with business development, acquisitions, mergers, digitally demanding employees and customers, and changing workforce dynamics. Join our experts as they share game-changing ideas and strategies for leading business success through the next millennium. Game Changing HR Leaders is presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP, America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing HR Leaders. Here we are with equal enthusiasm to the gentleman who just did the intro. Thank you so much. Speaking today with Anthony Abitello at Deloitte, Elizabeth Duffy at Success Factors, and Sherry Ann Meyer at ASUG. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be for the rest of the show. Okay, Anthony Abitello, you and I have a little work to do here. You and I were chatting during the break about where we should start the roundtable. We've already dived in to the topic, and I think we'll start here. So I'm looking at your notes, and you say, Getting the right leaders in the right roles is critical. Leadership continues to be a priority topic for C-suite and boards. Let me read one more sentence here from Deloitte's 2015 Global HR Human Capital Trends Report. You say 86% of all surveyed HR and business leaders cite leadership as one of their most important challenges. Okay, Anthony, let's talk. So, you know, I think starting with the the, the survey uh, quote, you know, 86% of all HR business leaders, you know, are, are talking about how leadership is their number one issue. Um, and and what, what is important to note about that is, in addition to that, we find that only 13% are actually satisfied with the results that they're getting from their leaders, whether that's their performance or the development of, of those leaders. And, you know, the, the big issue that we see in this space is really about uh, you know, one, this continues to be a C-suite slash board issue. It's not only an HR issue. And, you know, those those senior leaders that are relying on, you know, programs and, you know, training and, and all that to drive leadership development are missing the mark. Because in reality, we need to look at a strong set of potential and capability, not competencies, not values, um, you know, not just behaviors, but we have to look at a strong view of, um, of capability and potential of the leaders across the organization and really start to use, you know, science-based, you know, evidence-based psychological methods to drive the insight around who those right leaders are. Um, my, my main issue with, you know, as you heard me before talking about the nine boxes, it, mm-hmm. it, it it allows us too much to do the, oh, who's the best leader? Well, the person who reminds me most of me. And we don't do that consciously. I mean, certainly we would probably lose our jobs. But the reality is when we are looking at potential, performance is easy because we can look at metrics, we can look at sales, we can look at performance rating. But in potential without the science and the evidence behind it, we, we start to use our own bias, and our own bias can be, you know, looks like me, reminds me of me, performs like me, has similar challenges as me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that unconscious bias sits there. You know, we have other rating bias that sits there. And so, you know, the, the validity of that and the objectivity of it doesn't exist. So pulling together and having an objective, valid, evidence-based review of potential allows us to then get a more accurate review of who the right leaders are, but also allows us to tap into areas or sources of leaders that we may not be looking at today. It may not just be those that are, you know, you know, leaders of, of, of managers today or business leaders. It could be individual contributors who are doing jobs that have, um, you know, great leadership potential that just are, you know, not, they're not rising to the top just yet because there isn't a real 
you know, strict and solid yardstick in which to measure all of our leaders by. We get, we get into too many wobbly measuring sticks uh, in this process. Interesting. Thank you. I'm going to quote from the article I mentioned, the New York Times interview a few years ago with Barry Salzberg. The question to him was, how do you hire? And he said, the one thing that's important to me when I interview is to be sure there is a very good marriage, going back to the title of that interview. He said, it isn't just about Deloitte believing the person we're interviewing is perfect for some role. It's also that the also that person believing Deloitte is perfect for the environment they want to be in. And he said, it shouldn't be one-sided because if it is, it won't be a good marriage. I'm looking for values, priorities, personality, and fit. Would you subscribe to that, Anthony? I do. I, I subscribe to that, and I believe all, all of that, obviously, is, is Barry's one of our former leaders even more so. I think that is applied well at the, at the workforce level. I would add mm-hmm. to that that that's not the same measuring stick to use at the leadership level, I think, which is where yeah. we start to get to when we think about potential performance and, you know, engaging future leaders. So I think it's not, it's not just important to look at the values. I think you need all of that as the price of entry to find a successful, engaged workforce. Um, and then I think when you are looking at now inside that workforce, who are the right people to lead the future, who are going to drive innovation, who are going to be collaborative in a global environment or deal with macroeconomic issues. Those people, we have to use a a little bit more of science behind that um, in the process. Thank you. Great jumping off point. Elizabeth Duffy, thoughts on what Anthony shared with us, please. Yes, uh, I would totally agree in terms of, you know, looking at it from a potential and capability standpoint because a lot of companies are going through transitions. They're, they're, whether it's technology changes or environment, environment changes, you'll hear me talk about this a little bit later, but they're having to think in terms of not just do they make a good leader, but um, do they have the, the potential, the skill set, you know, the potential to develop these new skill sets so um, looking at it from a more broader standpoint, I think, is very valuable. And also, I agree with the, the science-based. Um, companies are starting to do more and more questionnaires and assessments to determine um, that versus just leaving it up to guesswork. Okay, interesting. I have a question for you, Elizabeth, and I haven't asked this to anybody. I've been in the workforce a long time. I have never seen a nine box grid. Nobody has ever opened up a folder in front of me in an HR office. Sherry's laughing and said, "Okay, Bonnie, let's see where you fall." Well, 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 well. How would I know how I've? I mean, I'm still employed, and the people keep inviting me to work for them. But the question is, how would I know about it? Is this is this something we're talking about as an insider discussion among HR? Is this something uh, I said in my intro, Sherry, and that that a lot of employees don't like it because they're aspiring to that top right. I'll call it the golden box on the grid. If I've never heard of it, how do I know what I'm aspiring to? Is is this a secret, this nine-box grid? Sherry Ann, let me ask you. <laughs> the nine-box grid is largely a secret. I know a lot of employees that I've worked with in the past didn't know what it was. Um, this is really an interesting discussion because, I mean, Anthony talked about, you know, potential. You have to look at capability and potential. And then I'm thinking to myself while he was talking, what does potential mean? To me, it means there's something to be developed. And so along with that nine-box grid, where's the development happening, right? Um, and, you know, we, he also talked about there being an unconscious bias. So how, how do you be objective? How do you teach managers to be objective? How do you make sure those conversations are happening so that they're objective? 
Um, I've sat in some meetings where they weren't, I would say, not so objective and people weren't challenged. Um, so, and I, you know, I think there's a lot more to just the grid. We can't just focus on just the grid. I think we get so wrapped up in that being the determinant of how we're going to get through the end of the year and put everybody in the right box and how we're going to compensate them that we forget that there's another conversation that has to happen. And there's another step that has to happen to really develop talent. Interesting. Anthony, you want to respond to what Sherry Ann just added? Or Elizabeth? No, I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, one, I think it's... I, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm not going to say this I, I, um, because I, I, I'm disagreeing. I'm totally in agreement. I think it's ridiculous that most of our clients actually keep these things a secret. Um, you know, we're advocates, especially in the leadership space of being very transparent. Now, you don't have to be transparent of, you know, I'm selecting you or what the process I'm going through, but you know, not giving your, your um, especially your leaders, the insights into where they are, um, into what, what uh, roles that we're looking at for them, you know, where, where their performance is, is trending towards. And it's just, you know, it's like sending them into the wild, into, into the wild without any sort of armor or any, any sort of weapon. Um, and so, you know, I, I think having that first is, is extremely important. I think the second thing around potential, you know, w- when, when we look at potential and capability, you know, we, we are really clear on that. Um, you know, potential is the things of just how we are born, right? There are certain parts of mm-hmm. how we are wired that is going to drive the pace at which we can move through the leadership level. So, you know, the, the example I use is, you know, the, the risk takers. Some of us are just born to bungee jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, and some of us are just wired to sit at the sidelines and say, oh, my God, I, you know, I can't believe they just did that. Um, you, you really can't change that wiring of someone to say, oh, tomorrow I'm, just, I'm, I'm that person who's not, maybe not fearful but just doesn't understand it to being the person who's going to always want to be the, the one that jumps off, you know, that bungee jumps off the bridge. So, you know, I think that that wiring is what's important to know and understand about your workforce, about leaders. And then the capabilities are where we can then start to judge and assess with accurate measuring, um, you know, where we can develop them. So we know, you know, we've seen a lot of clients who we thought were going to be CEOs and they were going to be succession for CEO. And really, actually, they were better for the CHRO job or chief administrative officer job or COO um, because we're able to see actually where their potential lies, you know, where the way they're wired plus their capabilities would actually give them a greater um, a greater impact in a different place versus, you know, I'm going to go from to CEO. Um, and that, that, that blend of the two, you know, with the, the, you know, the trend around performance, I think really gives a very accurate and objective view in which to, to develop and plan for future leadership moves. Thank you very much. Good wrap up to that. Elizabeth, I'm looking at your notes here. So much good information you sent me before the show. And I want to talk about conversations. I see something interesting here. You say evaluating performance and potential. We're talking about the nine grid box, obviously. Can promote valuable conversations and consistency among managers. And let me add here. You say there's tremendous value in the conversation, the going through the exercise of evaluating your team's performance and potential can promote among managers. It encourages them to have conversations about what makes a person a high potential. So which managers should be having this conversation? And if we got uh, if we're the the four of us here on this call, we're on different teams. Do our managers get together if we all work for the same company and say, "Well, we think Anthony is is reaching that high right hand box, and Elizabeth is really close, and Sherry Ann not really sure about her potential." But who has that conversation? <laughs> Sherry Ann, forgive me, dear. <laughs> 
I, I know you've told us on one of the previous shows, and that's all she. That's what she said. That's what she said. Uh, so, um, Elizabeth, why did you talk to us about how are those conversations to go, and among whom are they best had? And then we'll go around the table. Sure. Well, I think you know. I, I'm sure different companies do it in, in various ways, but I, I really think that that conversation should be. Um, a, a collaborative conversation in the sense that you want your managers to be thinking of their people and thinking of per, their, you know, performance and potential along the same way in terms of not just trying to figure it out on their own if this person is a good performer or this person has potential, but, but collaboratively as it relates to the company's culture and the direction that they're, they're going. Um, and this kind of relates back to what we were just talking about where I, I think we're really missing an opportunity to to have this conversation behind closed doors. Um, the exercise uh, and what I spoke to there, I had a, a friend um, who, when she became a manager, she said she really dreaded the thought of, you know, going through and plotting people on a on a box. But in the end, she said it was one of the most valuable exercises she she went through because it it did teach her how to think in terms of which you know what is a good performer. Um, which of her employees have certain potential and and really um, give her insight into where she could help develop them. Um, The point is, it trained her how to think, why would we keep this conversation secret and why would we not want to communicate that to employees and have them thinking of what is a good performer and what is um, potential and have them have that same insight. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Sherry Ann, thoughts on what Elizabeth just shared about the conversation? Yeah. That's absolutely right, and that's the part that's not happening. You, you need. I mean, I once had a job where I apparently was rated, but they never even ever gave me the rating, and that's why I kind of laughed when you said, Bonnie, that you've never seen yourself on a grid. Yeah, it may have happened, and you may not have ever been told. <laughs> and that's where we're missing the point, because how does how does if you don't have an honest conversation with me about what I've done that kind of blew up the workforce on a day or, you know, wasn't <laughs> as productive, then I don't know how to adjust. Yeah. And I, and I think we have, those are crucial conversations that we all have to be having and, and asked to have had with us by our leaders. And that gets back to what Anthony was talking about, about, you know, having the right leaders in place. And it's not just having them in place today, but how are we developing them for the future? Because if we just keep letting every leader do the same thing they're doing today and manage this nine-box grid the same way they're doing today, then we're never getting to this future state. Uh, we're, we're still growing leaders that are going to act, act exactly the same way when they get into that position. Great point, Sherry. And before I ask Anthony to chime in, I just want to mention that I, and I'm sure everybody on this panel today, has seen the statistics. It might even be a Deloitte projection that by 2025, 75% of the workforce, and I assume it's U.S., but it could be global, will be millennials. I know the hated M word, millennials. That's going to be such a shift, that demographic cohort that is really taking over so much of our culture because of their sheer size and their they want to work, they want to add value, they want to work for companies that have values that match theirs. But Sherry Ann, what leaders need to be in place today? 2025 is less than 10 years away. Who needs to be trained for these conversations, as Elizabeth was saying, to be ready? Because the future, I hate to say this, but the future ain't that far away. It's almost here. I use ain't as an expletive, you understand. Colorful <laughs> word. Sherry Ann, I'll let you start that, and then we'll go around the table. Who's training for the, are the millennials training for their own cohort? Who's training them? 
Well, that, that's interesting. That gets back to where we always hear the millennials want lots of feedback, and that's why. And I think in this environment that we're in, uh, in order for us to be successful globally um, as a country, as an organization, we need to all be leaders. We need to take the responsibility among, onto ourselves to be leaders of ourselves and to be able to speak up to other leaders, and that should be received well. Um, so um, I think you demonstrate leadership capabilities by practicing it yourself. And I think the millennials, I see a lot of really good millennials doing that. Okay. Barry. I'm sorry, Barry. I'm thinking of Barry Salzberg. I'm getting you two mixed up. Anthony, hey, my friend. I already had the I know you will. I would too. I, I think I already had a sip of your red wine, but I will be there tonight. Anthony, talk to me. What do you think about training for the millennial workforce? Are we ready? Are you ready? Yeah, I mean, we're ready. I mean, the, the reality is, ready or not, it's happening, I think, to your point. So, um, you know, we, we deal with this issue on, on a daily basis because most companies are relying on sort of old methods of, you know, everyone learns on the job and they'll learn from the previous and then we'll identify some high potentials and then we'll pull them out and we'll put them into these action learning programs that actually mean nothing from them and we'll teach them some behavioral recipes and boom, they'll be ready to leave. Well, the the reality is, one, those don't work and two, we don't have enough time. So it's even more important for us now to identify those that have potential and and using that that measuring stick, right, having that that consistent yardstick that will measure consistently across all your population to then say, okay, these are the people that I am going to invest in, and I'm going to invest Mm -hmm. in those people as in an accelerated fashion to develop their, their leadership capability, not the potential. I'm using potential to flag them, and then I'm using capability to develop them for future jobs as leaders. That's, that's, the, that's the main action that everyone has to take. And I think there's, there's fear in that because, one, there's fear in, you know, well, I'm going to have to pick one over the other, and it's always been good to keep it a secret and, you know, high-potential leadership programs happen in a you know, dark, dusty room where no one else talks, um, and everyone has to swear to the secret pact before they leave. Um, and now we, we're going to have to be upfront about it and say, we, we need to do this. We have to do this, and we no longer have the time for everyone um, to learn. And this generation, they are one of the smartest generations in history because they have so much more information available to them than any other generation did prior to. And like Gen Xers, uh, they are the, mm-hmm. the first generation to really teach the older generations. So we've, we've always learned, you know, my generation, previous generation, have learned from always the previous generation. And that's no longer the case because information is so readily available and it's constantly changing. So the, we have the opportunity to really take advantage of the intellectual capital that we have and the intellectual potential of this, this population and this generation to advance their learning. And honestly, the thing that they want most is they want meaningful work and they want to know the value of what they're doing and such a great way of identifying that potential and giving them this meaningful process and this meaningful path so they can drive more value into their organization and be more successful in helping the company achieve its goals. When you put it that way, it sounds great. Elizabeth Duffy, talk to me. What do you think about the grid and the potential performance and inspiring and exciting millennials to contribute? Well, I, I agree with what Anthony's saying in terms of I, I'm, and what I said before about the nine box needs to be changed to, to kind of go with what, what we're talking about today, this change in workforce. It, it, I see a lot of customers um, focusing more on potential and learning agility, like Anthony was saying, because 
not everyone wants to be a leader. Not everyone has leadership aspirations. So why do we have this box where we, you know, create this thinking of everyone's got to be in the top uh, right-hand corner? Um, And then if I learn that, uh, it makes me feel bad, even though I didn't have leadership um, aspirations. But it doesn't mean that I don't have, um, you know, I don't have high potential and high learning agility to, to, um, you know, succeed and and be successful at, at the company. You are Thank you spot very on. Much. That is Isn't exactly she? it. Yes, that's spot on. And everyone doesn't want to be a leader. So, that's right. But I, I agree. When you give someone the assessment and say, well, you were just good, good, um, we're so trained to think in terms of grades and ratings throughout our lives that that just doesn't feel good. That's right. right. And, and that goes back to defining what leadership, if leadership is being an innovator, if leadership is being a contributor, if leadership is leading yourself to express and use and contribute your own potential, then we all can and should be leaders. But if leadership is having a team of 30 underneath you or 15 people reporting to you or having a bunch of responsibilities because you're a quote unquote leader that have nothing to do with your skill set, then a lot of people don't want that. I think we agree on that. Sherry Ann, let's see how much time we have. We're about five minutes away from our predictions crystal ball round. And you took so much time to put your notes together for the show. I have a couple things here, uh, some very provocative notes from you. But you you list a couple of articles, HBR articles. There's one that's uh, Harvard Business Review, one from April 2015, Reinventing Performance Management by Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodall. And then you mentioned one in September of this year, why more and more companies are ditching performance rating. You want to chat about what those articles mean to our conversation, or do you want to go somewhere else, sherri Yeah, no, I would like to chat about that. I mean, I keep, okay. continue to hear that people are getting rid of the nine-box grid, yet I fail to find anyone who's really done it, and we'll talk about it, although I know um, Deloitte and I think Accenture may have done something with it, um, with getting rid of it. And then I wonder, well, then I'd like to hear more about that. How is that working? How are they allocating compensation then? Um, Do they have a more productive environment? Uh, Were they actually able to change their culture or move their culture forward, or did it cause a slight regression for their culture? So I really am curious about companies that are making changes in this space and, you know, how is what we're hearing, what we're reading in HBR and other articles like that, is that true? I, I think it, we do need a nimbler, more real-time, more individualized assessment tool. But how is that happening? Mm-hmm. And, and let's talk about that September 2015 article uh, by David Rock and Beth Jones. And I'll quote what you sent me, Sherry. And companies such as Juniper and Adobe stopped giving people a 1 to 5 rating or evaluating their employees on a performance curve, also known as the forced ranking approach. They're still differentiating performance in various ways and still use a pay-for-performance approach, just not through a simple rating system. So, but performance ratings still aren't dead. Do you think this is frustrating, sherri Do you think that we're going to move to a more evolved way, which is what we're trying to achieve here in this conversation? Or do you think well, we're I just... really hope going? it keeps evolving. Um, yeah. And I think the 360 feedback is good, too. But I, I still have concerns about, you know, what these companies are doing and is it really effective. I don't think we know yet if it's effective. And I don't think we can say that the nine-box grid is not effective, um, either. I don't think we're in that position, but I do think we all agree that we need to have a better communication mechanism with our employees. We need to take what we think about their potential and have actual live discussions with them. Um, we need to not just be giving them a rating and saying, well, you're good, good, or you're low, low, and um, or whatever the, the ranking is. We need to actually be talking about 
where they are in the organization, where do they want to be, what do we need from them as they move forward in the organization, and where do they see themselves fitting, and apply that to the grid. What, what do you do with people who just love what they do, they want to stay in that job, on that team, and they want to be able to do more and more and learn to enhance their skills, but they don't aspire to moving or shifting around exactly. or doing something. Anthony, thank you. Anthony, talk yeah. to me. What do you do I, with them? I, I was just like itching to come into this conversation because I, I think you're right. <laughs> Stop I, itching. Know, Stop itching. Yeah, Nobody itches know, on my show. <laughs> the, um, no, you know, it's, it, you, you, you hit it, right? I think that... You know, we, you. we talk about leadership all the time, and, the, and this, is, this is back to my, I know I'm being provocative, but, you know, getting rid of the nine box, because now we're basically saying that everyone needs to look the same. And if you're not in the, you know, the top right, you know, or making your way towards there, well, you're not, you're not really performing anymore. And what about the individual contributor? We all have, I mean, you know, you look at, you know, Intel and Apple and, you know, all of these high-tech firms that need individual contributing engineers who all they want to do, Facebook or Google, all they want to do every day is be the best engineer possible. They want to hack they want to create, and that's it. And they, they'll be a team player, but they may not necessarily want to be the leader. And, you know, the traditional way of promotion, especially around leadership, is we promote, we continue to promote the best technician in, in the job, versus, and then, you know, they end up failing, and then they move on someplace else. So why not have, where's the, where's the nine box for the individual contributor? Where is the, you know, the identification of talent that, you know, we just need to just come in and do their job every day and also don't need to be the highest performer. And so that's where I see that, that elimination of the performance rating and elimination of, of the nine box getting to, we're talking about, I, I'm getting that back down to, uh, you, know, you know, back to the future of, I just want to talk about your role and what's expected in your contribution this year. If you're a leader, it could be X, you know, X plus Y. If you're an individual contributor, it's just X. But I can then I can rate you and provide you with the feedback to based on your contribution in your job this year or over a trending period. So you know a lot of companies now are moving to that two-year realm for leaders, so that we can actually start to see more actual you know um, progress that they're making in their track. And then you know having having those two pieces now that we'll be able to you know, move away from, you know, an annual process, resetting it, and put a frame in place for conversation of feedback, right? I, you know, I love what Sherry and Elizabeth were saying about using those as frames for conversation, which is exactly the intention, right? Use it as a way of, this is my personal view of what I'm seeing and having a very, you know, open and honest conversation with your team, your employees, um, so they know that. Versus using the same thing with a 360. Use it for development. Use it for feedback. Use it for um, conversation, not for, okay, you were a 4.8 and you were a 4.83, so you're a better leader than that person is. I hate um, that. I, 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 it's awful. It's absolutely awful. For those of us who are competitive by nature but love what we do and don't see ourselves anywhere else, being given a rating number is just vicious. It's demotivating. It's, I, I had a boss once, we got to move into predictions fast, boss once who said to me, you're great at what you do. You're performing very high. You're giving the job 125%. He said, now for God's sake, Bonnie, dumb it down to 85%, open the door of your office, work <laughs> with the team, and bring them up from their mediocrity up to some level around 85%, and we'll love you even more if you will stop being 125%. We don't want you to be that good. We want you to bring it down and be more like 
everybody on the team. I went home and I just cried. Anthony, I needed that bottle of red wine and you had it and I didn't have it. <laughs> that so demoralizing. I, I didn't recover from that for two weeks. I left that team. I went to another team in another part of the company. I just couldn't even look this guy in the eye. I, I don't yeah. just didn't make sense. But that Sherry Ann, that's a topic for another show. Guess what? Anthony Abitello, I can give you, wow, a 45 seconds for predictions. If we met again at some point in the future, when, not where, but when would it be? And what will be different about the nine box grid? Is it going to stay? Is it going to go? Is it retiring? Is it going to take a golden parachute and have a happy future? Quickly, 45 seconds, Anthony, go. So I, I think I think it's five years from now we are using predictive analytics and science-based approach to, to drive, to identify and assess potential. We are moving away. We are cutting up the nine box and putting it in the recycle bin um, and using it only when we need to frame conversations and train managers on how they could provide feedback to their, uh, their teams, their employees. But when we start talking about leadership and we start you know, looking at performance, we're using predictors of potential. And then we're providing our organization with frames and feedback for what performance looks like in their job. So gone rating, gone box, and more into uh, meaningful feedback and results of the individual in a time frame that matters. Thank you. Elizabeth Duffy, I can give you the same four. Well, I can give you, oh, he was good. Why don't we give you 45 to 60 seconds? Go ahead, Elizabeth. <laughs> what can you predict in that amount of time? Talk fast. Uh, okay, great. Um, I also agree that the we'll get away from talking about it in terms of a nine box because it really doesn't matter about the numbers. What matters is it's a consistent framework that represents what's important to the company and it's a, it's a framework that we can use to train our leaders and as a communication tool and a development tool to better enable our employees. So we're, we're moving towards this continuous feedback, but somehow we're going to need to get all that feedback and, and be able to, as Anthony says, a, a way to evaluate it and, and put it into some kind of a framework where we can say this person is, is valuable to the company, this person is making a difference. And, and these are the types of things, whether it's the people skills or the technical skills, that are making a difference. And so we, we can use this to then create more people like that. Thank you very much, Sherry Ann Meyer. I saved 60 seconds for you, a whole big 60 seconds. What are you going to predict in that? Go ahead. Well, I don't think the nine-box grid is going away, which you're probably surprised to hear from me. But I think that it is a useful discussion tool, and it's something that um, people, when you bring together people of different personalities and different types of input and different ways of thinking to assess an employee population, this is something that's grounding to them people that are black and white versus people that are very gray in their thinking, it's a way of putting it up on the wall in a picture. However, um, I still maintain that the value that a human resources person brings to the table is their empathy and their desire to work with and, and develop people. So it's not the technology that's going to make the difference. It's what's going to make the difference is how much HR steps to the plate to be leaders themselves in leading these discussions to be productive with the employees and instead of trying to look at where someone fits, understand where they want to fit and where we can best use their talent. Thank you. Very well said, as always. Sherry Ann, you picked another great topic and a wonderful panel. Anthony Abitello, 
We already love Deloitte. We love them even more now that you've been on the show. So you can take that back to the office and invite everybody for that bottle of wine tonight. Elizabeth Duffy, great insights. Thank you. You're a second success factors person on this series in two weeks, and you're always wonderful. And say a shout-out to everybody there for us. Sherry Ann, what can I say to you? And a shout-out to all the people who allowed us, even though they didn't know it, to quote them. Barry Salzberg, thank you. And Inigo Montoya, thank you. And Wizard of Oz, thank you, all the people. And Estelle Van Lerdy at S. AP Deloitte, thank you so much for your tweets. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This has been another very lively edition of Game Changing HR Leaders. And we will talk to you soon next week on another one. Sherry Ann, real fast, what's your next topic next week? Do you remember? Um, no, I don't remember what next week is. You know how I am when I'm traveling. I can't I, remember I, what day of the week it is. Is today Wednesday? I have- It's still Wednesday, my dear. I have six shows a week, so I can't remember anything. But anyway, we will see you next week. And a shout-out to Carla Neal at Deloitte. Hugs, hugs, hugs. Uh, Thank you to Justin, our engineer at the World Talk Talk Radio Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Quick, what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best run businesses run SAP and run simple. Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and Twitter handle RECHARGEHR. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.